You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. We discuss social justice, childhood trauma, current events, hip-hop, and so much more. Now, here's your host, Michael Arrington. Yo, what's good? It's your man, Mike Arrington. It's the BU Podcast. We're back again. Um, I got a special guest today. His name is Andisa Benjoko, man. He is the founder of Bishop Chronicles. The um, podcast is on all your digital platforms. He also used to be um, the man, the myth, and legend of the uh, Hip Hop Chess Federation. Um, Good brother, man. Um, We've been talking for years, man. Finally good to kind of just sit down and build with him. proud of his rise proud of his you know everything that he's done um it's gonna be a real good conversation man but um i want to hit you guys with a little bit of words of wisdom when we get right back but we are here man bu podcast mike arrington let's go you are listening to the bu podcast with michael arrington bu podcast we here man i'm hit y'all with some words of wisdom you might struggle to be authentic as an adult if you were criticized or judged as a child. Remember, it doesn't matter if they like you. It matters if you like you. You know, sometimes we tolerate bad behaviors in our relationships because we're confused about how much our worth is. So at this point, this point in my life right now, 47 years old, everything that I've been able to accomplish, I'm not negotiating my value with anyone. I'm worth it. I've been worth it. Will be forever worth it. That's what it is. BU Podcast. Let's get it in. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Yeah, yeah, man. We are back. BU Podcast. Um, I'm with my man. We go way back. Um, it's my man, Adisa Benjoko, man, Bishop Chronicles. He's the talent. He's the the man, the myth, the legend behind it. He's the hip hop chess guru, uh, bro. I don't even remember how we met. I was telling somebody that I was interviewing That's you. A good question. And I was like, I don't remember exactly how we met. I just remember the first time we spoke. It was a brotherhood right off top. Yeah, yeah. I think. Okay, now I'm only saying this because I actually believe it, right? But I think we met. Did you ever used to go to Hex's spot? Hex, he used to run the the hip hop shop off Melrose. Yes. Okay, so hip. So when the Zulu Nation first kind of really started settling in LA, uh, around the time of the LA riots, there was a meeting at Hex's shop, and like crazy legs came out. What happened is Rocker from Dilated. And evidence were there, but they were there as graffiti bombers. They were not yet dilated. Dilated yet, right. I mean, and they were there, and I was one of the San Francisco Zulu chapter people speaking at that. So for some reason, I feel even if it wasn't then, it was during that time, right? Because I was I was in and out of LA a lot at that time. For some reason, that's how I, I tend to remember it in my brain. And but I think we sure. reconnected during my um, hip hop Congress days too. That's what it was then. It was Congress. There it is. There it is. That's why yeah. it was Congress. Yeah, I think that's there. what it was with Shamako Noble and, and, and some of the folks in the Bay. I'm man, Shamak, man. In fact, funny story. Me and Shamako Noble are supposed to have a beatbox battle because <laughs> he has the crazy idea that he's got skills like that. And yeah. I'm like, have a seat, bro. Like I've been beatboxing since '83. 
You hear me? <laughs> 83. Right. I came up, man. I'm sorry. Okay. I can't be cursing, but I'm no, it's saying, all good. When I, no, it's all good. When I see you, be ready, don't say nothing when I see you. Just have Just have your beats ready, ready, dog. I'm coming. Ready. <laughs> uh, he has ask you this, man. Explain it to people first, man, who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into some topics and questions, man. So it's deep, right? Because I have to start with who I am, and then I can tell you who I was. I am a black belt jiu-jitsu instructor and a meditation teacher. I was... And I also do run Bishop Chronicles podcast, which you should subscribe to immediately on all major platforms, uh, which is a podcast about resilience and the art of not quitting. However, before that, I spent more than half my life writing about hip hop. And uh, I was a founder of the Hip Hop Chess Federation, which no longer exists, but had a really long run where we used music, chess, and martial arts to promote unity, strategy, and nonviolence. A lot of work in the uh, juvenile halls in the Bay Area and in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I'm a museum curator. Uh, I, I curated the um, Living Like Kings exhibit at the World Chess Hall of Fame, which actually broke the first day opening uh, of any museum. It broke Bobby Fischer's opening day attendance. Um, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And um, it is the second most attended exhibit in the history of the World Chess Hall of Fame. And then that was in 2014. And then 2018, I was a guest curator for the Oakland Museum of California for a groundbreaking uh, uh, exhibit called uh, Respect Hip Hop Style and Wisdom that I did with Mike Realm and um and susan barrett so i mean you know that that's really my 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 history you know i'm a pioneer uh i'm a pioneer hip-hop journalist you know from the bay you know uh probably the first person to ever write about nwa definitely one of the first people to interview Pac. i did early profiles on master p uh hieroglyphics you know uh i was the first person to write about dell and the source and you know i have a really long extensive uh history of that. But, you know, in recent years, you know, I got my black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, uh, and I teach jiu-jitsu at Half Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in uh, San Jose and Santa Clara. And I also teach at uh, University of San Francisco. No doubt, man. Uh, salute to you for all of the great things you've done. I know you and I have connected on a lot of things, juvenile hall wise. Um, I remember, man, you probably don't even remember. But I remember there was times, man, where you would call me in the morning on your way to work. And just kind of just have ideas, or I'd call you on my way to work. Yeah, I, I do remember those. Time I do remember just kinda, you know, swap ideas, man, and sharpen iron, man. So I appreciate those days. But in regards to that, yeah. man, talk to me about your work with the school to prison pipeline or just your ideologies of it, man, and then what you feel like can be done, if anything, to dismantle it. Well, I think that, um, you know, so I'll start with the first part. So the way that got started in juvie was um, I wrote an independent book called Lyrical Swords, Hip Hop and Politics in the Mix. I think this would about possibly 2003, maybe. Yeah, it had to be 2001, 2002, maybe. So when that came out, uh, I ended up getting some press in the Chronicle and a woman called me and invited me to go to the San Francisco Juvenile Hall. 
So I went to the juvie and when I went in, there were a bunch of kids, all races, but mostly black. And it was really for a career day. So they wanted me to come talk about journalism, right? You know, what does it mean to be a writer, whatever. But when I got in there, bro, I was kind of, I can consider myself a pretty good public speaker. I was bombing. I think the other part of it was, um, they just didn't care, bro. Right. They they wanted to hear. They was like, yo, have you ever interviewed Eminem? No. Snoop? Yes. JT the bigger figure? Yes. Too short? Yes. The, like, they didn't care about, like, actually being a writer. You know what I'm saying? Like, they had no, no one in the room had interest in that shit. And so, um the day before I had bought a chessboard for my son and I had a backpack, a mutant ninja turtle backpack, and I had a board. So I said, okay, I'm only 15 minutes in, man. I'm supposed to do this for like an hour and some change. It's not going to work. Uh, so I was like, yo, who in here knows how to play chess? Bro, 85% of the kids was like, I'm looking at black. Latino, Samoan, Tongan, straight killers, man. Gangsters, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, okay. Because I thought I was going to waste the time teaching them, right? That was my plan. I'm going to teach y'all chess. Now everybody knows. So I'm like, okay. Second question. Who here thinks they're dope? Like, don't keep your hand up if you're not raw. I want to know who the killers in this room are on these boards, you know what I'm saying? And then a bunch of hands go down. But a few hands stay up. I said, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a tournament. Everybody who wins a match, I'm going to give a book. I'll sign a book and give you a book. And they're like, all right, cool. So first match, two black dudes. You know, so this is going head to head. They <laughs> so then this dude's about to move his queen. And this white kid's like, don't move your queen. And he's like, shut up, white boy. Ain't nobody asked your punk ass about this queen. Puts it down, lose the queen. Everybody's like, oh, now white dude now has status in the in the in the in the situation. Now they're like, we gotta listen to white dude. He knows how to keep your queen from getting took, right? When I first asked who's the best, the dude who refused to put his hand down was this kid in the back who probably weighed 300 pounds, even though he was in high school. He was absolutely gigantic. So I was like, Who's the best? He's like, I'm the best. And it was like, shut up, fat boy. Ain't nobody. This ain't no sandwich eating contest. You know, ah, everybody starts laughing at him. Even I'm laughing at him. I'm breaking character. I'm laughing. I'm like, hey, chill out, blood. Chill out. That's not, it's not, it's not cool. Okay. We're not fat shaming. What? Are you the best? He's like, I'm the best. And through the course of the day, he did beat everybody. And I saw how the whole hall changed in their respect for him. Right. I saw how the hall changed for respect for the white kid who's in the fit, who's in the racial minority in this hall. Now he's got status. We got, you know what I'm saying? Greg knows what's up, man. So what's up, Greg? You know what I'm saying? So when I'm leaving, I said, wait a minute. You just saw the whole pecking order in the hall shift because he was good at chess and you saw the racial dynamic shift because the white kid was good at chess. So I said, but if they play chess and I'm talking to myself as I walk out of the hall, right. I'm like, but if they play chess, 
Why are they making bad decisions that got them in the hall? And I stopped cold in my tracks. And it was literally like I got hit with lightning. And I was like, you have to use hip hop to teach them about chess so that they'll want to learn about chess. And you, then you use the chess to teach them about life. Like I stopped in the in, on the stairs and I was like, hip hop chess. And then I went home and I started it. That's super dope, man. Super that I didn't know, but I, I knew I knew about it because we you and I have talked about using some of those tactics in the juvenile hall mm-hmm. down in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So um, like I said, I, I you how I met Riza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who you so um, so <clears throat> in Oakland or in the Bay, as it is down, you know, down in SoCal, um the school system is more or less set up to direct and funnel kids to a certain aesthetic, either prison or being involved in kind of law enforcement contact. Um, And when using hip hop as an influence, back when we were coming up, it was a thing, right? You had self-destruction and you had the Black Watch movement and you had those- KRS, you know- Brand Nubian, you know what I'm saying? Teachers, you had a lot of, you know, people. That's how I kind of learned. That was my first introduction to Afrocentricity. If I'm right, right, honest, yeah. right. And so you juxtapose that to today's music, you know, is there even pretty room ignorant. for something like that? <laughs> it's pretty ignorant. So um, I think, I think, I think the answer is yes. I mean, first, you know, um, because of a donation of RZA, one of the one of the HHCF satellite programs at the juvenile hall in St. Louis is actually still, still functioning. It has no funding, but what it is, is the, the guy who we trained there, a guy named Mike Wessum, shout out to Mike and all the youngsters in the hall over there in St. Louis. Um, he never left and he kept it going. Right. So he kept the program alive. Even now, even though the org doesn't exist, technically that program, still thriving in St. Louis in juvie, right? So they teach chess and life strategies without me, you know, I'm not even there ever. You know what I'm saying? Um, You know, the thing is, is that that hip hop has shifted because of the industry, but you know, there's always this thing between rap industry and the culture. And I believe that in the culture, there are lesser known rappers who are still um, dope and, and intellectually stimulating. Um, and like, so I work right now with a group called Rhythmic Mind, right? And what they do is they help heal PTSD of in- incarcerated kids through hip hop ciphers because some of the research they did, they learned that if a human being is freestyling, the part of the brain that self critiques turns off. That's powerful. So they used ciphers with uh, mindfulness and kind of like uh, introspective conversations to help heal kids from PTSD. And I'm a part of this crew. And so I was just in Oakland until the Omicron had shut it down. I was I was working with a group of kids in the Oakland Juvie working with Rhythmic Mind. And I saw firsthand that, you know, a lot of these youngsters, like we think of Tupac, Big, KRS, whoever else we just mentioned, you know what I mean? Public enemy, whatever. Like they don't like when we said, oh, 
we want you to listen to this song from Nas. They thought we were talking about Lil Nas X, as big as Nas is. They really thought we were talking about Lil Nas X. And we were like, no, Illmatic, you have to listen to this record. And they were like, oh, what? And when they listened to it, it was they were into it, right? I think the the generation gap in terms of stylistically and what the content is right today can really just be cured by human beings from that era, meaning people like me and people like you talking to them directly, right? A lot of the people who complain about the nature of the content now are also the same people that never talk to the kids about what real hip hop is. So they'll be like, oh, they don't know right now. Despite the 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 cancer of white supremacy and the school to prison pipeline being so proactive, you know, it's a 24 hour war machine that's been on for 400 years. Right. So we're we're late to the game. OK, we're late to the game. We're late to the battlefield, as it were. Right. But. There are still programs like Rhythmic Mind. There's another one called Today's Future Sound where they teach beat making and help kids make mixtapes in the hall. It's powerful stuff. I've seen it. I've observed this directly, right? Um, and so there's a, there's, a, there's another brother who named Tyson who uh, right now his org is working with Oakland Reach where they do like virtual mentoring, you know what I mean? To help kids stay on track with their homework so they stay on path and everything. Right. Plus he's a dope, he wrote a book called Black Boy Palms. What I'm saying is we have amazing people who are working with kids and working in the hall to undermine the veracity of white supremacy, right? right. But we're still out, we're, we're still out invested in, right? We're under invested in, they're over invested in. Right. You know, there's all kinds of things, but I think we still have a shot. But the real question, the deeper thing that we have to decide as people who are fighting such an unflinching, uh, carnivorous beast like uh, Juvenile Hall is this and prison is this, bro. Right now, hella people are about to get ready to hate me, bro. They're about to hate me right now. I'm about to say something that really. Right, but it wouldn't be the first time, if you know me, that people are upset. Um, I understand the legitimate and necess- necessity of, uh, of, of defunding the police militarization, right? We have to shut that down, that, that militarizing of the police right. and changing the culture of the police force. One of the... Craziest thing Shimako Noble ever said to me was in 2000, he said, we need to be able to go into the police force and teach them about culture right. so they, we can de-escalate them. I was like, what are you talking about? Whoa. He was, that was a that's, prophetic that's moment. What I, do. I didn't understand it. Whoa. I didn't understand it because I was like, well, they'd never want us there and why? And then look at us now. Right. right, but he understood then how necessary that type of stuff was. Right, yeah, that's the kind of so, stuff I was doing right before I left probation. I was mm, kind of training them and trying to re, kind of vitalizing the the their approach to things. Right, because it's like yeah. it's it's one thing when you get a white officer looking at a black kid, but I would have to flip it and say, you see how when we get that one white kid that comes from, you know, San Fernando right. Valley, how the black staff treat him right and so right. like it's the same thing and so now i started going into the different police forces and teaching them not only ethics but how to 
de-escalate without losing your authority. Hey, bro. See, that's what's needed, right? So here's my thing, though. Hella people, right? Obviously, obviously, with the murders of so many black men and women and children, right? Just in recent years, we didn't want to talk about 95. We're going to leave Rodney King out of it. Right. right. You know what I mean? We're going to leave a whole bunch of people. Right. You know, I'm going to do Diallo. I'm not even going to bring them up. I'm going to just say in the last 10, we're going to leave in the last 10 because that's how devilish the whole system is. Right. Yeah. With the way that kill us. But what I'm saying is. The dope dealers, the pimps. The human traffickers, they don't take days off. Right. I don't like cops who are oppressive, who are racist, who are profiling, okay? Right. But cops who do their job, guess what? I want them to do their job. Right. I do, right? Because I got I got older parents, you heard me, right? right? I got daughters and sons, you understand me? And if somebody does them wrong, if somebody kills them, what, you talking about defunding the police? Well, okay, well, where's the hood forensics team so we can figure out who killed this person? Yeah. Oh, there is no. Oh, okay then, right? Oh, uh, some girl got kidnapped. We can't find her. Oh, well, are streets talking? Right. I'm not hearing a lot. Okay, well then don't talk to me about defunding the police. I'm down for defunding the militarization of the police. I'm down for um, funding things that help them understand that the average non-white citizen isn't an immediate threat to their life. Right. That's what I want to fund. But these killers are still out here. These weird ass molesters are still out here. These dope dealers don't stop. These bangers don't quit. And so I can't back a defund the police blanket kind of statement. Right. I think that we need to be deliberate. We need to understand where the the, the pain appropriate funds. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, hey, guess what? Um, We're not really defunding the police, but it turns out you don't need seven tanks. Okay, you don't need seven tanks. So we're going to take the money for seven tanks and we're actually going to put that in education. We're actually going to put that in the training of black and Latino and LBGTQ teachers. We're actually going to take this and put it back into an athletic program because we know that one of the reasons the kids are on the streets is because the athletic programs don't exist anymore. So we're going to refund the things, the music programs, right? The things that we know, the cultural things that we know help kids move forward with. Okay. And so um, to the same degree, look, when I'm in the hall, you People know I always ask for the hardest kids, the hardest units, the roughest dude every time. And I can be very frank with you. Right. We can have as much empathy as we need for the school to prison pipeline. But when I tell you that I know youngsters, man, that do not have a problem clapping anybody because they haven't been taught right. right. They don't have parents. They don't go to school. They sell drugs. They rob drug dealers. Listen to me. Um, if you shut that facility down, these days the streets rob. Whose kids right. you think they can rob? Exactly. They gonna rob your kids, my kids, right. the neighbor's kids. Who's cool? He didn't do nothing. Okay, yeah. so we need to think about. Look, you know me, man. I bomb atomically. Right. I'm a strategist. Okay, so in strategy, one of the things you learn is. Before you demolish a thing, you have to be clear exactly about how you're going to replace what you've destroyed. Exactly. 
You understand me? So exactly. don't talk to me about defunding the police if you're not walking my mom home. Right. Don't talk to me about defunding the police if you're not looking after that little girl and you know her both her parents work and she's home alone. Right. Don't talk to me, bro. Don't talk to me. And this is not in any way a celebration or a support of bad police right. or racist right. ideologies or violent cops. That's not what I'm talking about, man. I'm talking about how do you replace a system you intend to destroy? And unless and until you've done that in your school system, right? right? We don't like Mr. White supremacy. Let's shut that place down. You don't even know algebra, dog. Shut your ass up. Right. They need mathematics. They need real history. It's not enough to say that because of white supremacy, we want to remove X, Y, or Z. We have to know how we're going to replace what we intend to destroy. And that is revolution. And until you do that and you're clear about that, you better just work on the kids as best we can, try to undercut white supremacy at every corner, Right. right. Invest ourselves with a present and an intelligent strategy to help and harness their innate beauty and ed and, and minds and spirits into something excellent for the future. But uh, I don't want them young shooters out on the streets, dog. I'm just being honest. And that, yeah, you know, right. what I'm saying like I can recognize that not wanting them on the streets is not supporting white supremacy. Right. Yeah, I know for me in, in the work that I do. You know, I'm I'm in the house talking to the parents like, OK, what can we do to help you help us? Right. And so a lot of it is it's economics. Right. They don't have the means to do what, you know, they need to do. So I got 11th and 12th graders, man. I'm getting them work like real tangible work. Yes. I got a partnership with Amazon because they built an Amazon in my neighborhood. So let's go there. You get a seventeen dollar an hour intern gig with them. Oh, you got means of going to college, but you didn't get through the A through G standards. Yeah, that said, right? you. Yes. So I got See, some, I, you can go to community solution. college. I got solutions for you that way, right? Because the lady who does, who's the 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 chancellor of the colleges of Claremont, which is 12 community colleges, is my wife's sorority sister. So you plugged in because I got to connect, right? And these are tangible things I can do. Like I can't undergirth, I can't undercut the the the, the 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 praying mantis that we call white supremacy it's 400 like you said it's 400 years yeah, head start right all i got is one pistol and i'm gonna make sure that my area is clean you feel me <laughs> that's the vibe, right yo that's the vibe right so people be like yo you know like you know and i appreciate what you said about you know my contributions to hip-hop and you know and hhcf and all that stuff you know what i'm saying and i'm i'm those are some of my favorite years on this earth you know what i'm saying if i kick the bucket tomorrow you know the creation of hip-hop chess, working with RZA and Jizza and all the other people who had nothing to do with Wu-Tang that were involved, you know, teachers, you know, chess teachers, jujitsu teachers, you know what I'm saying? After school project uh, teachers, you know what I'm saying? Like we we had a, a homework thing where we would help the kids do their homework and then we would help teach them learn cursive because they don't even teach cursive in the schools no more. Right. But we were teaching cursive because research has shown kids who do cursive, it helps train their mind for other things like algebra and all this other stuff. So, you know, not letting your kids print actually is an important skill set. And the parents would come home and come pick up their kids and be like, yo, I didn't know y'all was teaching cursive. Yeah, that's what we do. So I love, you know, those times. Um, um, 
but my point, which I lost somehow in the in, in daydreaming about the old days of hip hop chess. Uh, <laughs> but I, what 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 my point I think was that you know we have a lot of really great solution based people out here, right? We you know in the early days when public enemy uh, KRS or or X Clan would say something, you know, white supremacy journalists would always say, "Well, what's your solution?" Right? And you asking a 25 year old black man who's an artist what his whole solution is for whites? I mean, I'm not sure he's supposed to have an answer, but now we do. You are the answer. I am the answer. We are bringing the answers. We have created the answers. There's so many dope uh, hip hop based education orgs. I can't, can't even keep up with them. I don't even know all of them. I guarantee you in almost any city and state, there's an org that's trying to do something. Some might be teaching jujitsu. Some might be teaching chess. Some might just be doing, you know, after school math, you know, dance, whatever. We are bringing the solutions, right? right? And so we just have to kind of curate and accelerate not just what we're doing, but our knowledge of each other so that we can have more pressure, more positive impact at a faster pace. No doubt. No doubt. Man, I appreciate all of that, man. So, yeah, let me get into um, real simply put, what was that moment, man, that you fell in love with hip hop? I can tell you. So I think it was 1982. Might have been. It was three. Um, I went to my cousin's house, my cousin Steve. And so I was always more artistic and super nerdy still and quiet he was more athletic and um he started lifting weights like this fool looks like apollo creed right now blood it's disgusting anyway um he was lifting and i was sitting on his mom's washing machine in the garage and he had a boom box and he was lifting you know he normally play rick james or you know whatever was hot you know right. print you know what I'm saying? Annie Christian, you know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> you got to be an OG to remember Annie Christian, right. but if, <laughs> Prince, if you don't know Annie Christian, you ain't never like Prince, but get out of here. But what I'm saying is um, all this hip hop started coming out and it was a mixtape. And I was like, what is that? Right. And he was like, oh, this is a mixtape from my friend Jesse Carr. He made it. And I just stared at that boom box and I was like, I, I have to copy this. He was like, yeah, sure. No problem. I don't care. You know, he just, he, you know, he just doing this thing. So I got a dub. It was the Cold Crush Brothers. It was some stuff from Run DMC. It was a bunch of random hip hop from New York. And I was like, I'm doing this forever. Like right. that was what my head was straight up. Right. I don't know what I'm doing. Am I making beef? Am I the DJ? Am I making a record label? I like, I don't know. Am I opening a record store just to sell his music? I don't know. Right. But I'm, I'm involved. So right after that, my parents was like, yeah, I was, yeah, it was, it was, you know what? I was, it was 83. Cause I was about to, it was about to be my birthday. So my dad was like, so what do you want for your birthday? I was like, I need a mixer and I need two turntables. And he was like, well, we have one, we have two turntables, but we don't have a mixer. So you want a mixer? I was like, yeah, I want a mixer and a reverb. So he was like, all right, look, you're either going to get a mixer and a reverb, but the mixer is going to be whack, or you're going to get a dope mixer, but you're not going to get a reverb. And I was like, 
I thought reverbs would make you sound like uh, like the Egyptian lover. You know what right. I'm saying? Right, right. I was wrong, but I was like, I was like, I need a reverb. So I went and got the reverb, and my dad actually was a real fan of hip hop, and so he hooked up the 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 whole setup, but because he already loved jazz, like big band jazz and right. and blues, and stuff. so he had a real serious system, and he was like, all right, so. I'm gonna show you how to scratch. So he's like, you take the fader, and my dad taught me how to scratch, dog. Oh. Do you hear me? Oh. My father taught me how to scratch. So he goes, okay, now you try it. And I'm like, what, 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 what? And I was like, oh, okay. So at that time, Eddie Murphy had put out his first comedy record. Delirious. No, before Delirious. Before Delirious. A comedy record. He's on the cover with a rose in his hair. Oh, yeah. So in the beginning, when he first came out, it was like Eddie Murphy in a clouds. Uh, and he's like, I know everybody wants me to hear, hear me say buckwheat. And so I would take that and I would play like Buffalo Gals. And I'd be like, <laughs> buck, 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 buckwheat, buckwheat. That was, that was my beginning of scratching. Right. And so I became a DJ. Um, and I... I, I mean, like, I'm not going to front on you, dog. I became a sick-ass DJ, bro. When I was, like, four, by the time I was 14, I was raw. Like, not even, like, on my own nuts right now. I was dope. <laughs> and I studied hard, bro. I would go anywhere for hip-hop. And it's unbelievable. Like, if I told you the crazy-ass house parties, niggas was getting shot, like, wow, shit. Nothing ever happened to me. Never got robbed. Never got ran up on. It was almost like the universe made me invisible. Right. On site, I should have got robbed, but I didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like I would have my Adidas Kango members only mobbing through. No one ever. Like I was in it and I would I mean like I went to the first Fresh Fest. I went to the Raising Hell tour. I went to crazy shows, bro. Right. I went to crazy shows, house parties, clubs I shouldn't have been at, trying to get in, not being able to get in, just listening to what the DJ was playing. Like, I'll stay outside, and I'll just listen then. You know? Yeah, I was, I, for me, I think I like I fell in love with it when I heard the message, right, from Grandmaster yeah. Fast Furious 5. Uh, but it wasn't until I heard Easy es uh, cruising Boy, down the street in my seat, when I heard that, I was like, them dudes sound and look like the dudes around the corner, which they were because I live in they the were. <laughs> was right up the street. So um, it was when I heard that is when I was like, I want to do this. Right. Yeah. I, think I can do this. And so by the time Tribe came out and, you know, UMCs and Blue Cheese and all that, type yeah. of thing, I, really felt like I could do it because I was dancing and I was, you know, I'm a yeah. thing, you know what I'm saying? And um, that's when I felt like I can do it, but I didn't take it serious, serious, man, until I got out of high school. Yeah. Um, I no, I mean, I think that's most people. I was taking it serious from 83, like dead ass serious from 83. Um, and then, I mean, look, you know, I'll just be honest, like the blessing of my life, if I had to say one thing about my life, that was a continuous blessing is that in every situation of anything I ever entered sincerely, I met giants before the world knew them. 
So I told you my cousin, right? He lived in Daly City. Daly City is like not too far from where I'm at in the peninsula. It's not, it's outside of San Francisco is my point. So I went to Oceana High School, which was stereotypically by the ocean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, California, we do this. And he went to a, 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 a high school called Westmore. And then there was Jefferson High School. So like at Jeff at Westmore, Mixmaster Mike and Apollo went. Cuber went to Jefferson, I think, with Alex Aquino, who ended up being their manager. And so I used to see Mixmaster Mike all the time. Like, you know, like before he was what any of us know, you know what I'm saying? Before I made the second beat I ever made in my life, I made at Cubert's house. Oh, that's dope. You know what I'm saying? And so, and this was when Cubert was not, you know, he he had a reputation because he had equipment and stuff like that, but he wasn't the world famous DJ Cubert. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I was around the dopest fucking DJs. I, by, by that time, I had left DJing and I moved to MCing. And so I had a crew. And we were a dope crew. Like I said, you know, we opened up for Gangstar and Organized in their prime. Right. Talking about stepping to the arena is out and we're on the bill. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Uh, Brand Nubian and Onyx. You know what I'm saying? In their prime. We're opening. We was known. We was doing our thing. But then the dude that I rap with, he stabbed a dude for robbing his mom. He had to do a bid. And we were finishing our demo at the time. So we took him off those tracks. I got Dell, Boots, A Plus, and Pep Love to get on to replace him, replace his verses. But by the time we were done with all that, I was just exhausted and I didn't want to rap no more. So none of that shit ever came out. Yeah, I get it. Um, I think coming up in a certain era, those things happen, right? Like you, like I grew up with Razcast, right? right. The same neighborhood. Right. And when I knew him, he was dancing. Right. right. And so, right. Um, you know, I met I met Bishop Lamont before he was just Philip. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he was still right. in school trying to get on. Right. And so um, I met Game when he was just Jason playing basketball. Right. right. So um, all these dudes became giants. I think I, I, when I met Dilated, they were just kind of on the bubble. Right. And so right. part of that. 90 that 98 99 class of underground talent mm -hmm. came out you know some design eyes rest in peace mm -hmm. to my man right and um and those guys i came out of the era where it was just things were different radio stations were playing hip-hop you know yeah. it was big the uh hip-hop journalists were big you had the magazines and you know the periodicals that were dope sure. and so that was one of those times and it's like Haley's comment man is it's because of the way the times are now those times seem like we should have put them in a time capsule and recorded all that stuff so we can go back and review the footage and see oh. the thing that we created. You know what I'm saying? And, and those memories go, yeah. bro. Absolutely crazy, you know? And so I think, though, you know, there's still a lot of beautiful, intelligent artists out now coming out and things like that. I think the problem is there's not enough of us that do understand the culture engaging them where they are. Right. So like I, I feel like too many of, of, of the people or at least I want to say the people I'll say in the Bay Area, what I find is that too many people who complain about the youngsters, they just don't teach them. They don't engage them. Right. They want to sit around stick their kangles and, and fat laces on and talk about how what these kids is. OK, but then how come you don't talk to them? Right. How come you don't teach? Them? How come you don't mentor them? How come you don't? You know what I mean? So I, if I, 
if if I don't like the hip hop that's out now, I have to blame myself. Right. right? I have to blame my generation because we didn't we didn't do better didn't by do them. One time I was talking. Yeah, I was talking with Paradise from X Clan a couple of years ago. He said the realest thing I ever heard about the generation gap. I was like, yeah, man, a lot of these OGs, they don't like it. And they say that it's not real hip hop. I was on a bar train. Like, I literally remember where I was on the bar train. I was like, we had just left Montgomery <laughs> at the Montgomery station. I was on the phone with him. He goes, you know how I know it's real hip hop? I said, how? He said, because we hate it. <laughs> he right. said, right. the fact that we hate it shows that it's real. He goes, because those kids are talking about their reality right now. And we were talking about ours. Right. And their reality isn't our reality. I was like, oh. You know what I'm saying? I always remember that. That was a you bar. Know? And like, I remember when I was starting to really get into hip hop, I remember listening to Slick Rick and my mm -hmm. aunt who graduated high school the year I was born. So she heard, it's all because of you. And was like, oh, that's yeah. Candy Terrell. That's disrespectful. And she hated hip hop, right? Yeah. She was more Shalimar than she was yeah. when Daddy Kane, right? So, like, they hated it. So, when I look at this, some of this stuff now, I'm like, yo, I cannot with the cadence. But there's a few gems in there, man, like Corday and J. Cole and, you know, oh, Dots and Cole, First of all, J. Cole, the track he just did with Benny the Butcher. Crazy. Listen, <laughs> that's one of the coldest 16s I've heard in a decade. In a, minute, in a cool minute. I mean, it's out of control. And Benny the Butcher does great. That's right. not even, you know what I'm saying? I'm not even trying to undercut. But what I am going to say is that J. Cole, that man came through and slammed it like, yeah. Right. Right. It was crazy, right? So there's J. Cole, there's Benny the Butcher, but there's other people that I like. I like this dude named A Boogie with the hoodie. Um, I like uh, in the Bay, I don't know if he's big down there, but there's a there's a youngster named EBK Jabo, who's from like Stockton or something. Mm. Youngsters love him. I'm not a hater, but I'm also not a fan. I mean, he's just like whatever. Right. But he's huge. But I, I do like A Boogie with the hoodie. I do like Roddy Rich. Um, yeah, I can deal with and, Roddy Rich. I can deal with some. Yeah. I can deal with some songs from here, here and there from Cats. I really yeah, yeah, like yeah. RJ Payne is like he's like my guy. Like RJ Payne got bars. Like he wasn't. Supposed I don't know. To I don't know. Cat from uh, he's out of Philly, I believe. Oh, really? Uh, you get a chance to, to check him out, man. He got crazy bar. His metaphor game is strong. And then there was another cat who I actually kind of is it. I'm probably gonna. I'm the the kids are gonna smash me when I see him. I think it's PNB Rock from Philly. He's dope. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, I like him. Um, you know what I'm saying? And so you know, I actually, you know what? Uh, I, I'll just I'll just take take body shots and headshots all day. I like Cardi B. I'm going to tell you why I like Cardi B. There's a track she has, the opening of that first album. I think it's, the, it's called Get Up 10. Yo, Get Up 10 is hard, right? Sometimes when a rapper is very pop, I don't care if they're actually dope and they're telling me, I'm doing this for the cash, but I'm actually good. Get Up 10 is her version of that moment. Yeah. When you listen to Get Up 10, he's talking about how she got where she's at. And the 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 song starts out with almost like no drums where it's just like strings and she's rapping. But when the beat comes in, it's actually and I think not many people get it because the generations are so separated. Right. 
but it's like a remake of the Ghostface beat for run. You know, that beat, bro. Uh, Cardi B, um, can't lose with that beat. She killed it. I mean, she killed it. And so, like, you know, I'll say the same about, um, um, who's the dude that did funky, Cole Medina, right? I thought he was trash when I heard that song. I didn't like Tone Loke, but then somebody I knew had the album, and uh, I was like, you got Tone Loke's fucking album? He's fucking weak. And they were like, no, no, listen to this song. And all I remember, I don't remember the name of the song, but he starts, it's a very white beat. Right. And he comes and he goes, it goes rama lama ding dong. And he goes in and he busts pure bars. And at that point, I was like, oh, he's dope. He's just trying to get paid. I'm not mad. You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> hold on right. one second. Ah, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, before I forget, just before you ask the next question, I'll tell you one of the lines that she said that made me laugh. <laughs> Cardi B said, uh, just because I'm on the road, don't mean that I'm on the run. So you're going to have to learn to hold your tongue or hold a gun. I was like, yo, that's fresh. <laughs> I was like, that's fresh, man. But she got a lot of them. She got these punchlines. Like, I know she knows hip hop. All I care about is that you know hip hop. If you come out there shucking and jiving for a few extra dollars you know what i'm saying bumping and grinding for a few extra dollars i ain't mad you know yeah. what i'm saying but if i know that you got bars man i'm gonna just salute you man so cardi b there's a lot of youngsters that i respect and i and i ask young people all the time when i go into the hall i'd be like yo who's dope right now and they'll go oh this person that person and i listen to it a lot of it's trash i'm not gonna front but yeah. but some of them are dope and i and i'm never gonna Every front now on and them. then i catch one I used to do that when the halls too, man. I used to make them uh, like, a, if I gotta listen to your trash all day, you gotta, you gotta listen to my joints. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the night, uh, I'll play Biggie, I'll play Nas, I'll play Gangstar or whatever. Yeah. So it was funny to hear like one of the kids get take real interest in kicking the door. He wanted to know verse word by word kicking the door. So I was like, I right, bet you do that. You got some extra rec time. You can say that for me verbatim, and he did it. You know what I'm saying? So let me ask you this though, man. It was an episode. Uh, maybe second to last episode you did on, on Bishop Chronicles about depression. Yeah. And, um, and oh, something yeah. said about the importance of crying, right? Ooh. Big, big proponent of vulnerability being a strength more so than a weakness. Um, no question. Um, kick some knowledge about that, man, in that episode, because uh, I thought it was very, very vital. Uh, a yeah. lot of the stuff you do is vital, you. man. I'm gonna be honest. Like I listen to you, man. It's kind of a roadmap of. Thank you, man. No, nah, that means a lot. Put people up on right, like yeah, that 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 episode you did uh, about uh, black versus Asian, the, the beef, whatever was bro. Thank that was, you. That was that was flaming hot chips, bro. Easy. Thank you, man. No, I, I mean I really try. You know, me and my producer Mike Realm, you know, we try to be on time. You know what I'm saying? We try to be on time. Now, normally, one of the things is that, you know, I always have uh, Bishop Chronicles up until about three months ago was strictly a hip hop podcast. You know, I've had RZA on, you know, like last year I had John Leguizamo on. I've had lots of different, you know what I'm saying? Uh, MCs, DJs, you know, and academics on there. But what happened was after the pandemic, uh, what I started to recognize was that no matter who I talked to, they could be black, white, Asian, rich, poor, middle, whatever, no matter 
what we were talking about, hip hop heads, jujitsu people, at some point, it would be like, okay, man, so Mike, how are you doing, man? How are you getting through right now? That's what always comes up. And then you'd be like, oh, man, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? My neighbor's uh, mom died of COVID last week. It's kind of crazy out here. My job, right? And so I started realizing that no matter who I was talking to, you know, how people were getting through was coming up over and over again. And then I called Mike one day and I was like, bro, we got to change the podcast. We got to change the podcast. Because I had, uh, you know, I, I just finally signed my divorce after going through some crazy madness in 2018 um, with my ex-wife now. And I was super depressed, like suicidal, like I'm about to jump in front of this train depressed. You know what I mean? And that went on for a while. Uh, and I, I got therapy and uh, I joined Codependence Anonymous and I started studying stoicism and I took a class on stoicism. But taking a class on stoicism was super easy for me because I had, because of hip hop, right. already studied Greek philosophy, the pre-Socratics. I read Socrates, I read Plato. I knew the Apology, Euthyphro. Like I'm raw on Greek stuff. So to learn the Socratics was really easy for me. And I was like, yo, man. Socratic, I mean, uh, Stoic philosophy is dope. I'm in. And so I started going deeper in that dive. And that's what led me to change Business Chronicles to be about resilience, because that's what Stoicism is. It's about mental resilience. And Stoicism, rather than just say believe or think or say these things, Stoicism has specific mental exercises to help you confront anger, fear, grief. That's crazy. And right. it's like, you know, it's like weights, bro. You get the dopest weight set in the world, but if you don't pick the weights up, you're not going to get yoked. So in the same way with these stoic exercises, I started to recover quicker. I, I started to have joy more. I started to be at peace more. And I was already into meditating years before. And I found it just paired up well with my jujitsu already. And so when I did this particular episode, you know, uh, I was really reflecting on my relationship with my son. We used to live in South Hayward and it was grimy, man. Like people were getting clapped all the time. You know, California for people that don't live here, bro. Like they don't get it. You can drive through a neighborhood that looks so nice. My G when that sun sets, it is on, you know what I'm saying? It's on, right. And so like, um, you know, uh, at night, there would just be so many gunshots. And I started recognizing, like, my daughter, she was going up the stairs one day. And we were like, get up the stairs, get up the stairs, they're shooting. She was like, I know. And she walked slow up the stairs. And outside, it's like, da 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 And I'm just like, yo, she's walking slow because she's used to these gunshots. Right. That's terrifying. Exactly. She's used to the gunshots. And I was like... She's she's six. You know what I'm saying? And she's already used to gunplay. Right. And so I remember uh, one of uh, there was a situation where these dudes. This was crazy. These dudes came down a previous block, did a drive by bah, 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 missed the guys they were coming after. Those dudes jumped into a car, punched it, chased down their block, came down my block, pulled up on them. Now. As they're shooting at the car, so it's one car in this lane, one car in this lane. That's the sidewalk where people are parked. They hit the driver. He 
Benaka, he, he crashes halfway on the block. These dudes take off. I come out the house like, what? And I look across the street and there's a dude like this in a car. And I'm like, oh shit, they done killed somebody in front of my house. This is bad, right? Everybody starts calling 911, you know, police or anything. They come to the guy who was in the car blood. He was alive. Wow. And he hadn't been hit. What happened was when the when the, the second shooters, because the first shooters missed the second shooters. When the second shooters came up and busted out the first shooters, the dude was sitting in his car, like, you know, just got home from work, and the bullets went like zink, 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 zink. And he went into a catatonic shock and was frozen. Yeah. So when I went over there and thought he was dead, it's because he looked dead, but he was frozen. But they like revived that fool and he hadn't even been hit. But the other dude who did get clapped, he was he had crashed his ride over up there. So my son, after that, we, we came to my parents' house to de-escalate for a few days. And one day my son was like, I said, you know, how are you doing, man? You know what I'm saying? Are you are you cool? And I think also like a kid that I mentored had been murdered and we had to go to their funeral or something. It was a lot of death popping is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And 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 I was like, are you cool right now? And he was like, yeah, you know, da, da, da. but I could tell he was getting emotional. And I was like, hey, bro, listen. If you want to cry, it's OK to cry. Crying is important. Right. And he boom, just collapsed, started crying. And I hugged him and I was like, bro, listen, every man is supposed to cry. I said, listen, if you ever know a man who legitimately does not cry, you have to know that he tortures kittens or he's really fucked up, bro. He's a real twisted bastard. I said, every real man cries. And he was like, but I don't never see you cry. And I was like, that's the fair statement. And I can explain. I have been writing, like trying to be a writer and keeping journals and all this stuff since I was 13. I was like, my tears are in the ink that I write. That's a lot of my therapy. Right. You know me, I study Islam, I study jujitsu, I study meditation, I do all this different stuff, right? I'm reading all this philosophy, whatever. I said like, so like my tears aren't always obvious, because I'm a tough guy or, you know, I'm impervious to crying. I was like, you know, I cry all the time, but you probably just don't even see it. But most of the times that I don't cry, it's not because I'm not sad or I'm a tough guy. It's because um, I have found writing to be my method of grieving. You know what I'm saying? And that was the day. So when I, when I, when I, when I talked about that, it's because right now, I think with the advent of a lot of the or, or, or a rebirth of like what it means to be a heterosexual male right now, right? You hear a lot of this talk in the hood, manhood, in white communities. You know, we got to get back to manhood. And at the same time, there's all this stuff about toxic masculinity. And right. so there's a lot of heterosexual men who feel trapped between trying to develop the man they want to be and being persecuted for wanting to be the man they want to be, right. okay? And so in that thing, I think sometimes ideas like crying and stuff, you know, even being a stoic, right? People think of stoicism as a path where you don't cry because you're upright all the time and no one cares. And, you know, we just gonna watch everybody die and be like this. And that's not really it. Stoicism is about letting 
all of your feelings and emotions be made manifest, but still not letting them cloud your judgment about the virtue and the justice and the courage that you bring into that moment. Right. No, no doubt. It's dope, man. Um, the episodes that you posted were dope. Um, I cry all the time, bro. Like I remember my grandma told me, man, crying is like taking your soul to the laundromat. So um, I've always kept that in my head. And so uh, lastly, man, before we get up out of here, man, I want to ask you something that I'm going to ask all my guests, man. Um, If you had an opportunity to have dinner with five people dead or alive, man, who would they be? The Prophet Muhammad, Malcolm X. Bodhidharma, who created Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Miyamoto Musashi. And Joan of Arc. Wow. Last two are heavy. Maybe swap. I don't know who would get cut from the list, but I might swap out one of the dudes for Queen and Zynga because she slaughtered so many of the Portuguese. I just had to know how she did it. Right. Just want to know. Just curious to know. Right. <laughs> how did you do that? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. Hey, bro, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Keep honor man for your people man i appreciate you man and we just need to get up man and 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 you know just build bro like we used to man i hate that you know time separates us man but yeah um, man i mean you know life is real and stuff you know life goes nuts but i'll tell you man like you know always feel free to reach out to me um if anybody is listening or watching if you want to connect with what i'm doing the most right now subscribe to bishop chronicles as a podcast and i just started a tiktok where like every day i break down a philosophical theme from a book and like people are starting to dig it, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Saw, sometimes it's Greek. Sometimes yeah. I saw a couple on your story on Instagram and I was like, look at my guy. Like I, I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And the responses have been fantastic. So, you know, at Bishop Chronicles on IG or, uh, or, or TikTok, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, reach out. Uh, I, I do, uh, still lectures. I'm actually lecturing at uh, Stanford University. I was actually invited by the head of the um, Graduate School of Philosophy at Stanford to do a lecture on Stoic philosophy. Oh, that's and I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that on February 12th. I don't know when this is running, but on February 12th, I'm speaking to Stanford on on Stoic philosophy. You know what I'm saying that's so, dope. Man. You know, it's all attitude, man. You know, I just got back from the UK, did my first jujitsu seminar at Gracie Baja in Leeds, uh, Gracie Baja round. Hey, Leeds. Uh, uh, I did an iron hook scroll, closed guard advanced seminar and it was packed and it was beautiful. Nobody got COVID. I was like, man, somebody finna die today. This place is packed, but right. we made it through. And, and I'm just grateful for, you know, even you wanting to have me on, you know, I've always respected you as an artist and someone who is sincere about helping the youth. And I see you growing academically. And to be quite honest, it, it warms my heart because, you know, I'm a self-taught scholar. I have a GED, bro. I have a GED. I took a few, like three or four JC courses, and then I got a paralegal certificate 
forget that I used for a little bit. I was working for a civil rights attorney, but like I'm autodidactic, man. So, so to see you have the courage to go to college, to stay in and elevate yourself, like, 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 I, I just, I have nothing but gratitude and reverence for watching you on your path. Truly. I appreciate that, man. That's an honor to hear that from you, man. And, um, uh, I appreciate you all, all these years, man, staying in contact, man, staying real, staying solid. And uh, we'll get up again, man. I appreciate you, man. My man, Adisa Banjoko, man. Thank you for coming on BU Podcast, man. And I'll get at you in a minute. Always. Stay blessed, man. Peace. Likewise, man. Peace. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Y'all, BU Podcast, your man, Michael Arrington. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my man, Indisa Benjoko, for coming through. Appreciate him, man. This dude has been doing a lot of work doing for social justice over in the Bay. And you're really all over the world, if I'm being honest. But I know we had a little discussion about defunding the police. And I know that kind of gets skewed and blurred when you talk about the word defund. So what we're talking about really is reappropriating money towards helping the community more so than militarizing the community. So by that, I mean... You know, police don't really prevent crime, right? Their, their job and efforts are really to help resolve it, right? So they show up after the crime has happened. So real crime prevention starts with funding social programs and creating opportunities in the community, right? My 16 years of experience in L.A. County probation has taught me that you can make prisons, juvenile halls, schools be this utopia. But if you're not affecting the community, then you have nothing. All your energies and efforts should go to creating opportunities, jobs for people in the community so they can sustain better at home. And when the home is great, then you have the issues of crime. So with that said, BU Podcast, another one's in the can. It's your man, Mike Arrington, man. I'll see y'all next time. Easy. You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington.